0: The following audio is from a sermon series from Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from 1 Corinthians 4. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, (coughs) brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me, That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love? In the spirit of gentleness, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated.
1: Good morning. I'm sure we all were just thrilled to wake up and see that white stuff this morning. I'm sure you're as thrilled as I was, Right? Hopefully it'll be gone soon. I know this is the uh, feel like we're in, we're trapped in Narnia here. This is the Forever Winter. Somebody needs to take out the White Witch. This is getting ridiculous, All right? Welcome to Sacred City. My name is Justin. I'm the pastor here. Um, I do want to welcome you, worshiping with us this morning. Uh, we don't do uh, anything too spectacular on Sunday mornings. We go verse by verse through books of the Bible. We are uh, four chapters deep into a study on the book of First Corinthians, book of the New Testament. Uh, we are entitled—we've entitled it "Following Jesus and a Jacked-Up Church." I grew up hearing many times that um, I would like Jesus except for the people in it, or I would like Jesus—I would like the church except for the people in it, or I like Jesus but I don't like the church, or some some form of that. And I kind of grew up thinking that. There was this perfect church out there somewhere, and if you could just make it or follow it or find it or get in it, and everything would be good. Uh, and the only problem with that is the Bible. Uh, every church in the Bible is jacked up. Um, every church in the Bible is filled up with people like you. <laughs> people with jacked up thoughts, people with jacked up motives, people with jacked up hearts, people that do sinful things people that put themselves first and hurt others. And when you put a lot of those people together, (laughs) bad stuff happens, right? Sin happens, struggle happens. So um, we're learning what does it mean to be human and be with other humans? How do you live in community with other sinful people? And what can you kind of base your life on that can kind of not fall out from under you, right? A foundation that cannot crumble and not destroy. So that's kind of what we've been studying and we're going to get a little bit deeper into it today. We are in the second week of Lent. If you are practicing or celebrating Lent, uh, the 40 days before Resurrection Sunday, uh, just to throw something out here, uh, we are actually ha- we always have a Good Friday service. It's called the Tenenbrae Service or a Service of Shadows, a historical service, a really dark service, my favorite service all year. And that's not going to be here this year. We're actually going to be at the River Center. So just put that on your radar. It's coming up. Good Friday. We'll be celebrating at the River Center this year. Easter will be right back here. Um, but just want to let you guys know that. And uh, missional community training, so our ongoing discipleship training that we've got. Uh, we've been talking about what's law and gospel and how does that impact us and discipleship and sanctification and justification. And uh, We're going to be talking about that again tonight. So 6 p.m. at the center. Uh, child care will be provided. So come on out, get some training, and join us for that. Uh, center is 1411 Brady. That's our offices. So I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll jump into it this morning. <clears throat> Father, we uh, we worship you this morning. We are here because you have drawn us to yourself. We are not here uh, to kind of get a little pick me up. We are not here to feel better about ourselves. We're not here to do a religious duty or check uh, something off of a to do list. We are here because the God of all creation has revealed Himself to humans. Has revealed Himself to us through Your Word and through the Gospel. And you have drawn us here by your Spirit. So we are gathered as one people this morning, many different different ethnicities, many different backgrounds, many different different uh, socioeconomic statuses here, Father. Um, and we are here because you've drawn us, not because we're the same political party or because we have the same ideas on politics, Father, or whatever it may be. We are here because the God of all the universe has drawn us to himself. So, Father, we... Um, We thank you for that. We thank you that we get to be a part of this heterogeneous community that we're all kind of different, but we've been made family in the gospel and through the gospel. And we ask that you would speak to us this morning, that you would um, uncover things that have been hidden, that you would bring things out of the darkness, that you would um, change the status of our souls, that you would empower us, that you would give us new hearts, you would give us faith to believe. Um, we really come this morning to worship you, but we know we can't even do that without your assistance. So help us live rightly. Help us be rightly. Help us worship you in spirit and truth this morning. Would you um, help me as I am a tired and imperfect, uh, sinful man? Would you think through my mind this morning? Would you literally anoint me with your spirit to preach your word to your people um, that can that can really preach deliverance to the captive that can bring to light those who are sitting in darkness. Would you save and sanctify and change and renew and empower through your word, through your vessel, through me this morning, Father? Would you do all this uh, for your glory, for your name, for your fame, and for our joy? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so many people uh, think that Christianity is really foundationally about another life, about what happens after you die. It's mainly about life after death. It's mainly fire insurance, right? I don't really know much about Christianity, but I've heard about this place called hell, and it doesn't sound like a vacation spot I want to attend for eternity, right? Uh, so many people think that Christianity is kind of just about eternity, just about didn't you know, life after this life doesn't really impact um, this world and our everyday life. but for those of you and for those of us who have really experienced the gospel, uh, we know that Christianity actually changes every single nook and cranny of this life because Christianity actually empowers and offers us a power source, to the life of the believer that can be found nowhere else. I want you to hear that. That Christianity, foundationally, is a new power entering you. All right, this might sound a little more supernatural than maybe normal or something. I don't know, but um, that's what Christianity is. It's you being empowered by a supernatural power. Now I'm going to ask you, push pause on that. What? Is your power source? What motivates you? What wakes you up in the morning and gives your life meaning? Please answer that question in your head. What is it in your life right now that gives you power and energy, listen, to push through the difficulties and the setbacks that inevitably, inevitably make our lives difficult? So when the stuff hits the fan... What wakes you up in the morning, right? When you hit a really tough spot in life, what motivates you? What gives you power? What wakes you up and pushes you in the day and encourages you? For Paul here, the author of 1 Corinthians, there was only one power source that was good enough and consistent enough to trust your entire life to, and that was the power the power source that comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ and if you've been with us through our study here you know that Paul has been building out a pretty painful long argument we're we're going 16 chapters deep all right but we're only we're 4 chapters in to Paul's letter of kind of rebuke and correction to his um his followers, the disciples that he's made. He's writing this letter of correction. And it's been interesting if you tracked it. I don't know if you picked it up here, but Paul now says, hey, hey I'm your spiritual father. And he's like, kids, listen up, all right? And it's, it's been funny if you track this argument, Paul has been many things. Paul has described himself in many different ways. So far in writing to the Corinthians, Paul has called himself a servant. I'm your servant, a field hand. I'm the guy who plows, right? Plow boy, right? I'm a master builder. I laid the foundation for you. And then Paul says, and then he was a servant again who carries the meal, right? And now Paul is finally saying, all right, I'm a father. And what we see is Paul is making his appeal as a father. He's tried everything else. And now he's like, kids, please come up. Listen, like a dad, he's making his argument. And one of the things you're going to see, let's let's just jump into the text this morning. Um, chapter 4, verse 6, we, we kind of started that last week. This is the, the transition between the first part and the second part. He was talking about all things being given to them in Christ. And he said, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, and that's brothers and sisters, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of us may be puffed up. That's what we talked about last week. If you missed it, you can find the podcast online. The dangers of being puffed up. In favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? And if then you received it, why do you boast like you earned it? Why do you boast like you didn't receive it? And this is where we see the Father come out. I love it. You know, I was told, somebody told me one time that sarcasm is of the devil. And that really, I went, uh uh-oh, because I'm a rather sarcastic guy. But that is absolutely not true. Paul here, as a father, as an apostle, as a pastor, as a shepherd, he's about to use some strategic, dare I say, beautiful sarcasm on his young children. All right? And if you're a parent, you know, sometimes there is some beauty in sarcasm. If you ever use this, when your know-it-all children come to you, right? And you can't tell them anything. And they know it all, and they know exactly how it's going to end up. And then finally, what do you say? Oh, okay. Since you know everything, go ahead. Right? That's exactly what Paul does here. Look at this. Oh, let me just put it in yeah, tone of voice here. Oh, and Roger actually did a great job of this. Already, you have all you want. All right, remember, listen, he's already said, you've been given all things in Christ. All things are yours. Why are you arguing? Why are you jealous? You've already been given all things in Christ. And he's like, oh, oh, I know why you're arguing. Oh, okay. Right? Now look, look at this. Already, you have all you want. Oh, okay. Well, already, you've become rich. Without us, you have become kings. Oh, and would that you did reign. Oh, I really wish you were kings, so that we might share the rule with you. All right? So, Paul here is really laying on the sarcasm pretty thick, and he's going to get into it even more. All right? So, sarcasm isn't of the devil. It can be appropriately used at times, it can be overdone occasionally, right? But it's appropriate, it can be appropriately used here. And here's Paul's train of thought. Before we get into too much, here's Paul's train of thought this morning, or over our last four chapters, really. He's saying this. All things are yours in Christ, but you have turned away from that, and you're seeking the same things that people void of the Spirit, people who don't have the Spirit, are seeking. So you've been filled up with Christ, but you're living like you're still hungry. All right, he's saying you've been made wise in the gospel through Jesus Christ and the power of the cross, but you're still seeking the approval of others. These don't make sense. This doesn't make sense. You've been approved of by God, but you're still craving the approval of others. You're missing it. If you, were a pro, if you had the power from the, the gospel, the approval of God would be all you need. You wouldn't need the approval of others. He's saying that you know, you get, you've heard that the low and the humble and the broken and the contrite receive salvation in God's kingdom, but you're still proud and you're still exalting your own opinions and you still want your own ways and you want to be rich and you want to be exalted. This doesn't make sense in the gospel. He's saying nothing, if you look at your life, nothing that you possess Came through any other means than the grace of God, but you are boasting about your accomplishments like you earned them on your own, right? We all should look at our lives and say, what do I have that I have not received, right? None of us earned the position of life that we have. You didn't earn your DNA, right? You didn't earn your gifts. You didn't earn your spiritual gifts. You didn't earn your natural talents. Some of you have been reading since nine months old, right? Listen, you you didn't earn that. It just happened, right? It's a grace given to you. But what Paul does here and what Paul's building out and he's looking at, this is what he's saying. All of this, the way these people, their life, all of this is evidence, listen, that their lives are not being lived on gospel power, that the gospel is not their power source for life. They were being sourced from somewhere else. They were getting their power in life, their motivation from somewhere else. So St. Paul is basically saying to them, you know what your problem is? You're out of power. You know what your problem is? The power has been cut off to your life. In other words, Paul is looking at them and he's saying that God, this, well, another place in the Bible, in, in Romans, Paul says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is powerful. It's a power source that saves people, that sanctifies them, that changes them. It's not just words, it's power. Okay? Electrical currents. I want you to think about that. The gospel is a power that changes stuff. Here in verse. 20, Paul says that the kingdom of God does not consist only in talk, but in power. So when Paul sees the fruit of their life, when he sees pride, when he sees jealousy, when he sees division, when he sees the attitude among them that that they have arrived spiritually, oh, I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm here. I'm in. Those people are out. I'm in. I, I get it. He says, I can tell that that fruit that's hanging on the end of the branch, that tells me the power's been shut off to your life. That tells me you're relying on something other than gospel power. But then what we see here in this text is Paul. Paul's Paul's way of life is completely juxtaposed to that of the Corinthians. And I would say probably juxtaposed to our life as well. his life, Paul's life shows an amazing, resilient power. The power is on to Paul's life. And what we see is that this power is a supernatural power. It's not like any other natural sources of power that ebb and flow, that can run out, that can be cut off. Can I ask you this? How do you feel on payday? Think about it. How do you feel on payday? How do you feel when you click on the bank account and you pull it up and you see that deposit that just went in? Date night tonight, right? You see that positive account balance? Many people live for payday, right? Payday feels great. I feel like I'm on the top of the world. I got some. I got money to rub together. I got some money in my pocket. I can take my baby out for a date. I feel pretty good. Actually, the, the next few days, I feel pretty good, right? How do you feel at the end of the month? How do you feel on one of those long months? You know what I'm talking about, right? The 21st feels like the 28th, right? You swear there's 40 days to that month. Bills are coming in. Money's already been spent. That day and night was real nice on payday. But now money's too short at the end. So I want you to think about this. See, see listen, money gives us a security, gives us a power source that ebbs and flows. I feel powerful, I feel motivated, I feel good on the first of the month, but at the end of the month, I feel low, I feel depressed, I feel controlled, I feel frustrated, right? Have we felt that before? We felt that, right? Or some of us, we feel that way all year round, right? And then one day a year, right, we get our tax return back and we think we hit the lottery, all right? How do you feel when you're killing it at work? How do you feel when you are selling? How do you feel when you are closing cases, or when you're, you know, adding people to the organization, or you're, How do you feel when you're just killing it? When the boss is like, "Hey, everybody, you need to do it like this." They are. This is exactly how it's done right here. Employee of the month. Boom. How do you feel? Right? We all feel good when we're killing it, right? We all feel good when everybody's going, how do they do it? How do they do it? We all feel good. But then how do you feel, listen, when you make a mistake? How do you feel when you misdiagnose something? How do you feel when you, when you thought you had the, the approach that would answer the problem and that approach actually fails or made the problem worse? How do you feel when you hire the wrong guy? How do you feel when you buy the wrong property or you make the wrong deal and you you get burnt and you lose the company money? Right, see listen, this is a power source that ebbs and flows. I feel great, I feel like I'm on top of the world, I feel strong and motivated and when I'm killing it at work, I wake up and I'm whistling in the morning, I'm taking my shower, usually my shower, when I'm killing it, my showers are three minutes long. I'm in there, I feel good, I'm out of here. And then usually when I'm not killing it, I'm in the shower for 37 minutes. Right? I wait till the water goes out. The heat, there's all cold water. It forces me out of there. I don't want to go to work. I don't want to get up. I don't want to face the day. I don't want to move forward. Why? Because my power source is in my accomplishments or is in the, the approval of other people. And that is a wicked power source. That is a power source that ebbs and flows. See, our culture, this is all our culture. This is all our world knows. That's why I'm talking about there's a supernatural power that's different because all our culture knows is a power source that comes from money, that comes from the approval of others. It could be parents, it could be siblings, it could be friends, or even our kids. It's a power source that comes from strength. When I feel strong, when I feel stronger than others, <laughs> I'm successful. When I feel beautiful, that's my power source. Comes from beauty. I got the good outfit, or if I got the newest thing, or if I look appropriate. See, all of this is saying that our culture drives its power source from success. First John actually tells us, First John chapter two. He, he categorizes this in three ways. He calls it the desires of the, the, the desires of the flesh, the desires of their eyes. And pride in our possessions. Desires of the flesh, things that make us feel good. Desire of the eyes, things that make us look good. And pride in our possessions. I know I feel good because I've got 55 inches, right, of plasma glass telling me I'm successful. Right? Pride in, or we could drive it, whatever you want, pride in our possessions. And that is to say, listen, successfulness, in our Western society, I believe, successfulness, and in the Quad Cities, successfulness is our culture's power source. As long as I am, or as long as I'm seen as successful, my life has power. I feel happy, I feel buoyant, I feel hopeful, I'm confident in my future, and I have the resources necessary to, the fa- to face the day as long as I'm successful or at least people think I'm successful. See, many of us, we have this little plastic thing that can actually make us look successful. Just swipe that thing. Little plastic thing, you know what that thing is, right? Just swipe it, and then you'll look the part. Nobody will know. Nobody will know you're not making ends meet. Just keep swiping that card to tell the world you're successful. But here's the deal. The power source of success is untrustworthy, and it needs—it's huh, incessant. It needs more and more and more. And it's like this. I used to uh, own a construction company, and we would build ho- build new homes, and one of the things that we would do many times when we got out there if the power company hadn't come in and trenched a power a power line electrical line and have power there for us what would we have to do we'd have to bring my own generator and that generator is expensive all right it's exe- ex- expensive it's a pain in the butt because that generator i mean it's loud it's a pain but what do, what's the deal with the generator you have to constantly put gas in that generator. Every single day, you got to pour it, you got to fill it with gas. It's more expensive than just to walk over and plug your cord into the line that's already been trenched by the power company. Every single day, you've got to put gasoline in that ga- in that generator or you won't have power. You can be in the middle of a project. You could be on top of the roof cutting in some stuff and the generator runs out of gas and you can't go, "Come on, five more minutes." It doesn't work. No gas, no power. Listen, That's the same way that success, if our life is running off of success, if success is our power source, it's the same way. You have to constantly be filling it. You have to constantly be going back and getting more and more and more accomplishments or you're never going to feel successful. And you're never going to feel like you have power. It's an untrustworthy power source. Every day, every week, Every month and every year, you have to improve upon the last in order to feel successful. That means more sales, higher percentages, larger profit margins, better returns, smaller wastes, better grades, more friends, happier kids. See, the generator, the power source of success, you need more and more and more and more, and you're never happy. You're never satisfied. But see, Paul shows us here a different source of power. A power that obviously doesn't run off a constant stream of success. No, Paul has a real power, a power that keeps him faithful, that keeps him full, that keeps him on fire, that keeps him filled up, that keeps him powerful when all worldly success is but a distant memory. Look at verse 9. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all. What? Like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world and to angels and men. All right, now listen, this is is what is going on right here. When Paul says God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, what he's referring to is when the Romans would go in and capture a city or they would conquer a people group. They would march through the city in victory, showing off all the spoils of war, and at the end of that procession, they would have the conquered and captured prisoners, right? The prisoners of war would march behind them at the end, and then all those prisoners at the end, as they're marching through the city, those prisoners would would march right to the Colosseum, march right to the arena, and they'd be thrown to the wolves, or thrown to the lions, or they'd have to fight each other to the death. So what Paul is saying, he's literally using an illustration from their time, and he's saying, we're like the last of all. We're like the people that are walking in and the spoils of war, and we're being led off to be fed to the lions. That's us. That's the apostles. I I love this. This is so uh, just attractional. (laughs) Look at this. Because we have become a spectacle... To the world, to angels and to men. He's like, the world is looking at us. Angels are looking at us. Men are looking at us. And this is what he says here. This is, listen, anytime somebody wants to know what Christianity is, just and that you're really about to close the deal, like somebody's like, I just want, I think I want to be a follower of Jesus. Okay, this is what you just lead with this. We're fools for Christ's sake. Oh, but you're wise. Let's see the sarcasm. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed. We're buffeted. That's not buffet, okay? It's buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat, we have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Hmm. Sounds awesome. Sounds very inviting. The scum of the world, the refuse of all things, literally that what that term represented in his culture was when they would wash their hands and they would wash their feet and they would scrape the calluses off their hands and scrape the calluses off their feet and all the filth and all the skin and all the chunks and all the grossness would be left in the water. That's what he's talking about. We're like that. Paul seriously has a self-esteem issue. He would have been so much better if he grew up in our day and age And this is, this is just, this is going to be a convicting sermon for us. It's just going to be. It's convicting for me. Paul's argument seems to be this. Because all things, this is just nuts, all right? Because all things are mine, because I am, listen to me, This is what Paul's saying right here. Because I am in Christ, and Christ is in God, and God's power, therefore, is in me. All of God's resources are at my disposal. All of his love, all of his acceptance, all of his approval that Jesus finds in God, all of that is mine because of my union with Christ and Christ's union with God by faith. Now listen, this is what's nuts. (laughs) Because all of that is true because of all of that, listen, is experientially real to Paul. Paul Paul's saying, because I know I am in Christ, because I know all things are mine, because I know that every need that my soul has, every angst, every desire, every want, every affection has been met by Christ on the cross. I now am therefore free to be nothing in the world. You don't know anything about this. I'm just going to tell you, you don't. You don't. You don't know anything about this. You don't know anything about what Paul's saying right here. I am so content in Christ. It doesn't matter what anybody says about me. I am so content in Christ. Listen, Paul was one of the most educated men, right? He was... He came through one of the best Jewish schools available. He knew the law backwards and forwards. He was on his way to being a great Pharisee, possibly even high priest. He had a lot of accolades. He had all, you know, let's just say multiple PhDs behind his name or in front of his name. And you know what he refers to himself as? On oh, that, that bowl of scummy, nasty water. Because I am so much in Christ, I am free to be nothing in this world. This is, we don't get this. This is the power of the gospel. This is what it means. To be content in Christ, to have every desire of your soul, every longing of your heart, completely satisfied and satiated in Christ, that you're free to be nothing in this world. Paul says, that's exactly what's going on here. He seems to be saying like this. Let's just use a couple of them. Christ is my life. Since through Jesus Christ, I actually have eternal life, so I'm free to be sentenced to death here and it not sway my resolve. In Christ, I've been given the wisdom of God. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. So I'm free to be seen as a fool here on this earth. Paul's life, look it, if you look at Paul's life, Paul's life demands a gospel explanation. You look and you're like, what? Why does he live this way? How can he live this way? How can he be happy and be poorly dressed? Some of us can't even get that. That's in there. Poorly dressed. Why would he throw that in there? Poorly dressed. Some of us put three outfits on this morning before we came. Right? Paul throws that in there. Thrown away. I'm going to be, you know, sentenced to death. I'm foolish. I'm dressed bad. Back then, what did that even mean? This is not a good dress, right? That's I think many times we want to live this life that our culture tells us to live, and we want to add Jesus to it. We want to look like the culture, sound like the culture, live like the culture, use our money like the culture, live in neighborhoods like the culture, do our jobs like the culture, add Jesus to it, because I don't want to go to hell. Add Jesus to it. Maybe he'll help us even do it a little better. And Paul shows us here completely upside down way of living. This is his his thesis. This is his, his, here's the big idea. I have everything in Jesus. All is mine, so I am free to be nothing. I have everything, so I'm free to be nothing. See, listen to this. If your power source is success, you have no freedom. You cannot even make a mistake. If you ask, if you go to somebody in your workplace, in your job, in the world, anywhere, and you say, hey, do you make mistakes? Of course I make mistakes. Is it okay to make mistakes? Of course, you're human. But then when you, listen, if you're idle, I'm just gonna say this, if your power source is success, do you feel like it's okay to make mistakes when you make a mistake? Do you feel like it's okay to fail when you fail at work? Because if your power source is success, you cannot even make a mistake without being shackled to a fear that everyone is going to turn on you. You're going to lose the job. You're going to lose their approval. Your fight club is going to say something to you. Your missional community is going to look down on you. Justin might use you as an illustration in his sermon. See, you constantly fear that if people really found out how screwed up you were, they'd run. They'd run. That's what you're afraid of. That's why I tell people, read the Bible. Just read the Bible because it tells you how screwed up everybody is. I get it. I get it. I know, I mean, I'm not deceived. I know many of us in this room right here are are shackled to our desires, are shackled to pornography, are shackled to sexual sins, are shackled to drugs, are shackled to alcohol, are shackled to success. If your power source is anything other than the gospel, you have no freedom. See, few years back, I, I was a youth pastor for about seven years, and this little thing went from about seven kids. Five of them were my family, right? Five of them were my cousins and stuff. Went from seven kids to over 300 every week, and it was amazing. It was a move of God. We, we saw a lot of great things happen, but I was shackled to success. Success was my power source, and I remember, I realized this one day, when Amanda and I, we had just had, I think, well, Javin was maybe a year old, and we took him up for a vacation for like a week. And we were just in this little cabin, and we were just relaxing, and my life was just meetings, 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 and people, 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 and sermons, 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 and it was just slam-packed with responsibilities and carrying the weight of, 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 of leading that many people and doing that thing. And I remember, like, on about the fifth day of vacation, just feeling like an absolute failure. It had been five days, and I hadn't answered one email. I hadn't answered one phone call. I hadn't preached a sermon. Nobody needed me. I hadn't done anything productive in five days. And I remember feeling, I literally was like, I was writing in my journal, I was like, what am I doing? My life is a waste. I should be so much, and I remember turning 30 thinking, I should be leading something way bigger than this. I should be doing something way greater than this. I should be doing more. I should be doing more. I should be doing more. Just feeling the weight of that, that I couldn't even have a vacation without feeling this pull, this, this I haven't done anything all week. I'm not successful. See, my power source was success, and I unplugged for five days, and I was running out. My life was caving in. Success told me I was somebody. Success told me I had meaning. Success told me I had purpose. And I unplugged for five days and my life was crashing in. Listen to this. This is from uh, the book Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller. Listen to this. After the global economic crisis began in mid-2008, there followed a tragic string of suicides of formerly wealthy and well-connected individuals the acting chief financial officer of Freddie Mac, the federal home loan mortgage company, hanged himself in his basement. The chief executive of Shell de Good, a leading U.S. real estate auction firm, shot himself in the head behind the wheel of his red Jaguar. A French money manager who invested the wealth of many of Europe's royal and leading families who had lost 1.4 billion of his clients' money in Bernard Madoff's Ponzi scheme, slit his wrists and died, in his Madison, Madison Avenue office. Listen, what happened? Wealthy, powerful, successful men, something, the, the economy hit a downturn, right? Had some negative experiences, and what do they do? They killed themselves. Now, let me ask you this why couldn't these guys just go home and have a beer? That's a bad day, bro, right? have a nightcap, sleep it off, wake up in the morning. They're probably still millionaires. (laughs) They lost other people's money, right? They're probably still millionaires. You still got your red Jaguar. You more than likely got a few people, I hope, that love you. You still got assets. Why couldn't they just admit they were failures, admit they made a mistake, and start over? Why do they end themselves? Why do they kill themselves? Listen, this is why their power source was gone. They were unplugged. They they had no power. Their power was gone. Success was the source from which they drew all their meaning in life, all of their self-confidence, all of their joy in life. And once that was gone, their reason for living went with it but I want you to look at the power source that Paul's got here. Look at verse 12. When reviled, it means when people say we hate you, when people say you're a failure, when people say you're not good enough. When reviled, what what does he do? We bless. I told you, you knew nothing of this. Oh, okay, 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 Uh uh-huh. You want to revile? You want to say that? Well, you know what? Oh, let me tell you something. Since you were being all truthful up in here, let me tell you something about you. Oh, performance evaluation. Well, let me give you your performance evaluation. Someone confronts you in your sin? Oh, yeah, well, I do that because you... Well, since we're being... Oh, let me just point out something in you. Oh, that makes me feel better. When reviled, he what? Blesses. What else? When persecuted, we what? Endure. Endure. See, what does that mean? That means bad stuff happens, folks. And when your power source is in the gospel, you can go through really hard, really difficult, really soul, tearing, just weighty seasons of persecution, and you can endure. If your power source is in success, there is no endurance. This is why we see, I mean, you know, actors, they're, they're overdoses, they're always accidents, right? They're always accidents. But it's just like, if there's a needle hanging out, how much is that, what? An act? Oops! Right, no, it's, Oh, I took too much. Oh, I didn't realize it was on the... Why do we see these guys at the top? They can't endure. See, there's no endurance. From Kurt Cobain, right? Way back. You, you see no... En- when, when life gets hard, if your power source is success, you have no endurance. You can't endure difficulty. Philip Seymour Hoffman was the latest, right? One of the most talented actors in the world. And his drug addiction gets him. No endurance. Can't endure even being, listen to this, here you go. Can't endure being nobody. That might be your greatest struggle. You can't be nobody. You, you, you're still fighting to be somebody. Fighting to prove to dad or Fighting to prove to mom or fighting to prove to your high school football coach or fighting to prove to the neighborhood kids or fighting to prove to whoever told you you couldn't do it or you weren't good enough. You're still fighting to prove yourself. Paul says, the power of the gospel gives you an internal power that allows you to endure. Lastly, when slandered, When spoken ill of, when gossiped about, we entreat. What? We we, we move in closer. We concern ourselves with others. What? See, listen. There's no other power that can produce these types of behaviors. Nothing else. Nothing else can endear us to people who are persecuting us. Nothing else can give us a a way of enduring persecution and difficulty and just the normalcy and the monotony of everyday life. Our culture is teaching us, all right, this is what you do. You feel the normalcy, you feel the monotony, you need more adrenaline. Adrenaline right? So go to the fair and jump out of something really high with big rubber bands strapped to your body. You'll feel like a human, all right? Strap wings to your body, jump off cliffs. You'll feel like a human. Oh, that don't work. Go up in an airplane. Jump out of an airplane. Parachute. That doesn't work, right? What are you going to do next? I don't even know. Get in a cage and fight somebody, right? That's not as as attractive as that sounds, all right? I know from experience, okay? We don't know how to endure. We don't know how to be normal. We don't have to be everyday, just people, just humans, just sinners. Paul knew how to do it. But one thing I want you to see, and then look at this. Look what Paul says here. I want you to see this down in verse 16. Well, let me go, let's go 15. No, 14, shoot, sorry. I do not write these things to make you ashamed. Why would he say that? Why would he say that? Because probably they're feeling pretty ashamed. Oh, you're rich. Well, I'm poor. For Jesus. (laughs) Oh, you're a king. Well, I'm being led to the slaughter for Jesus. Oh, you're exalting. Well, look, at, look where I'm at. Oh, Armani. I'm, I made this, right? I'm working with my hands. You're exalted for Jesus, right? He, he's showing that his life looks a lot like the guy he says he's following, Jesus, who didn't have a home, who was persecuted and reviled and would bless when he was reviled and who would heal people and help people and work for the good of others and wasn't self-centered. See, Paul's life looks a lot like the life of the guy he says he's following. What a coincidence. And the Corinthians, their life doesn't look like the guy they say they're following. Oh, thanks, Jesus, salvation. Woo, feel better about that. All right, now I need to get that promotion. Now I need to move on. Got salvation. At hell, that sounded bad. Tell you what, but I'm glad that's taken care of. Now we can move on. Work myself up that corporate ladder. And Paul just lays them open. Paul just absolutely lays them open. And they're feeling shame. They're feeling shame. Their life doesn't look like Paul's. Their life doesn't look like Jesus. And there's something wrong with that. Let's just say it. Let's just say it. If our life doesn't look like Paul, if our life doesn't look like Jesus, there's something wrong with that. I'm a follower of Jesus, but you don't look nothing like him. And But Paul, here's what Paul does. But don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. What's he say right after that? Now, I don't want to shame you, but to admonish you, to sternly, strongly rebuke you, to a teaching rebuke here, okay? To admonish you as my what? Beloved, beloved children. Now listen, this is key here. And just, let's keep reading. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you got many teachers, you got many people, many podcasts you can watch, you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be what? What's the word? Imitators of me. Paul says, listen to this. Imitate me. You have this, okay. Paul's saying, you have this type of power in your arsenal, so put it to use. Why has Paul gone to such great lengths here, building out this argument? Look at me, why doesn't Paul just go, look at me, Do what I do, morons. I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. Follow me. Stop it. Why doesn't he do it? Now listen, parents, because we do that. Quit it. Stop it. Be good. Be nice. Be kind. We do that. That's not what Paul does here. Paul has built out this beautiful argument. Everything's been given to you in Christ. You've been adopted by the Father. I am your spiritual father. You are my spiritual children. You've been given all the power, all the resources you need. So use that power. He spent four chapters telling them about all the things that God has already done for them and in them. And now he's saying Live like it. See, I think this is why Paul's doing that. Because too many people, including you and including me, think Christianity is a to-do list. Here are the bad things that you need to stay away from. Here are the good things that you need to do in order to get eternal life. But Christianity is actually just the opposite. Christianity is coming to the awareness that through the Holy Spirit, you don't have what it takes to obey any list. That you lack the power necessary to live the perfect life that God demands, and in desperation, you call out for God's help. You say, I don't have the power, I need the power. And God, through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, God saves you. He fills you with power, gospel power. You once were completely and utterly and totally spiritually dead, but now you have powerful spiritual life running through your veins. And because of the work of Jesus is in the past, he has already lived the perfect light. He has already died a substitutionary death for our sins in our place. He has already rose from the dead in victory. Christianity is not primarily good advice, it's good news. Evangelion, the word for gospel, is good news. It's a hair, it's a message that was heralded. People would come in and say, The king has won, the army has won, victory is ours, it's over, it's accomplished, it's done. They would not come in and go, here's what we need to do. The gospel is good news. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, Jesus. God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. So that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. See, the gospel is the news of a historical event. Over 2,000 years ago, the Son of God has taken our place. And listen, when that news is heard by us and responded to in faith, an unfathomable and unquenchable power is unleashed in our lives. A supernatural power is unleashed in our lives. Now, if I ask somebody in the Quad Cities, What do you think the essence of Christianity is? What does it mean to be a Christian? The average person on the street would say, well, I think it means to live like Jesus and to love your neighbor. Try to live by the golden rule. Listen, I want you all to know that I think that's a great idea. That's, that's, That's great. Let's all do that. Let's all do that. But that's not news. That's not the heart of Christianity. It can't be because it's not news. That's advice. Follow Jesus. Live like Jesus. Be nice to your neighbors. That's not news. That's advice. Is that news? Is that news about what has been done for you? What has been done outside of you, for you? See, that in, See, this is what news is. News is something that's been done outside of you, for you, and the gospel is news about what God has done outside of you, for you, that inflicts in you such joy that you finally can live according to the golden rule. See, that's Christianity. Something happened outside of you, something momentous. It happened outside of you, for you, and that which inflicts into you life-changing joy. Now I have the power to love God. Now I have the power to love my neighbors. I have the same power that Paul has here in 1 Corinthians. Power to be nobody. Power to be nothing because I'm everything in Christ. What is your life running on? Constant stream of success and failure. Failure. Or have you tapped into this type of power? Do you know what what it means to tap into this type of power, to live by this type of power? See, Paul says in verse 19, look at verse 19. But I'll come to you soon. If the Lord wills, look at this. And I will find out, not the talk of these arrogant people, But their power oh snap for the kingdom of god does not consist in talk but in power now listen i don't know what kind of background you got but he's not talking about some kind of circus sideshow act well i'll come to see what kind of power they got this guy can turn water into wine well this guy can. no 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 paul shows us what power looks like power to suffer well power to be nothing power to give away, power to bless when you're persecuted. He says, I'm coming to see if you're fit. Listen to me right here. This is what Paul says to us. Well, not really, but to the Corinthians, but we can apply it to ourselves here. I'm coming to see if your religion is all talk. Is it talk, or is there a supernatural power at work in you? Religious people have the talk and no power, and there's nothing sadder on this planet than that. Second Timothy says they have a, a, a they have a form of godliness that lacks power. They have a form of godliness, but lacks power, and he says. Avoid such people. Stay away from those religious, rule-keeping people who think they please God but have no power in them. They're all talk. See, you might have lived your whole life in the church, but do you have this type of power in your life? Are you free to be nothing? Or does the disapproval of people crush you? Can you bless others when you're gossiped about? See, there's a a way that we can trick ourselves. We can be a form of godliness. We can have this, this outside facade look pretty religious, but inwardly we have no power. See, there are many people who follow the rules or they try to. They try to live morally. They try to talk the talk, but inwardly, listen, they have no joy. Inwardly, they have no power. They find no pleasure in God. He's not their delight. Now listen, you ask them, they'll tell you, oh, I could do nothing without God, but they're like the movie star who throws a shout out to God at the Oscars. That's just sentimentality that maybe might possibly stem from common grace, but it's not from the soul shocking power of saving grace. There's nothing so offensive to true spiritual power as the pitiful power that comes from moralism and religion. Gospel power is like a lightning bolt to the soul, charges and changes everything. Religion is like running a daisy chain of those Christmas time extension cords over your neighbor's house and plugging it in. And if we're gonna be a church that is centered on the gospel, we have to do a great job of sniffing out the difference between religion and moralism and Christianity. And sometimes they can look really similar, but underneath, they're utterly and total, totally different because they have a to- they have totally different power sources. Parents, I mentioned that sometimes we just say, "Stop it! Don't do it! Be better! Try harder!" Is that how we motivate our kids? Because the gospel gives us a totally different power. If you're using moralism and you're using legalism to teach your kids, you're going to be sounding like this. Do good. And when you're good, you are good. When you behave good, you are good. Be a good person. Don't be a bad person. You don't want to be a liar. Hey, if you don't stop doing that, someday you're going to wind up in prison. We're relying, we're we're loading on their will. We're pressing on their will. Do good to be good. Hard work equals success. This is what we're doing to our kids when we do that. Obey me without any power. They have no power. What's their power to motivate? What's their power? What's their motivation? How can they obey you? And many times what they hear is this. I'll love you when you're obedient. Daddy is happy when you obey. You get my approval when you're good enough. That's antagonistic to the gospel it's upside down of the gospel so parents we need to teach and train and discipline our kids listen this like this a gospel motivation like paul's doing hey god listen this is what i say to my son son how was your day at school good i moved up two places hey that's great i can tell that the holy spirit is working in your heart helping you obey Okay. I could tell the first time I said that, he was like, I'm pretty sure I was awesome today <laughs> is what you meant to say. But then that kind of stuff picked up and Javon, he, would, he comes home now. Jesus really helped me today. He was really helping me. I moved up two places and I stayed there. Huge difference. This is what I'm saying. I know, son, like me, You have no power outside the gospel. You have no power outside of God. You can't do anything to please God. You can't do anything to obey. Only when the Spirit's working, only when Jesus helps you, only when you rely on gospel power can you actually obey. And then all the credit goes up the chain to God and doesn't rest on us. Son, I love you. It's like when I whoop him. If you don't like that, sorry. I whoop him because I love him. First, one of the only Bible verses he knew for the first couple years of his life. Children, obey your parents so it will go well for you. It goes well for you, son, when you obey your father, but when it doesn't, bend over, right? And I do this because I love you. You are my son, you are in the family, you are accepted. I do this because I love you. He repents, I forgive, you are forgiven, son. You are forgiven by me, you are forgiven by God because you confessed your sins, this is behavior that stems out of being loved and accepted and forgiven. This is behavior that Paul is teaching us, all things are yours in Christ. Everything you need for life and godliness has already been given to you. Now live like it. Tap into that power source. Don't run off the power source of success and accomplishments. As I close, some people think and I don't I don't address this enough but if I'm preaching the gospel right, I need to. Some people think, whoa, great! If Christianity is something that happens outside of me and I receive the righteousness of Christ like a lightning bolt from the sky, awesome! Now I get to go live my life however I want to. I get to go do whatever I want, say whatever I want, be whatever I want. Guys, that's exactly the problem in Corinth. No, 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 that's not. That is why Paul uses the language of family here in chapter four. That's why he says, follow me, imitate me. When your faith rests in Christ, like a lightning bolt from the sky, your identity has changed. You are saved, but you're more than just forgiven. You're adopted into the family. And now you have a new father. You are in Christ. You've been given a new family. You've been given a new family name. Now live like it. You're not of Adam. You're not of the sinful flesh anymore. You're new. Live like it. But what does Paul, Paul's clear in verse 16 what we're supposed to do with that power. Paul's clear what we're supposed to do with the gospel power. We're not supposed to sit home and drink our whiskey to the glory of God and just say, I'm saved and I'm forgiven and think I can do whatever I want to do. Paul says, You've got the power. Imitate me. Your life should look similar to my life. My life looks eerily similar to Jesus' life. Listen. That, my friends, is the law. That, my friends, is a command. That, my friends, is placed upon you. If you are a believer in Christ and you've received the gospel, that is placed upon you. That is placed upon all of us. Imitate me. That's what I do to my son, right? You don't know how to do it? Watch dad. Watch dad. Watch dad. Watch dad. Watch dad. Imitate what Paul does. Watch me. Watch me. Look at my life. This is how you're supposed to live. This is what it looks like to live submitted to Jesus Christ. Life on life, discipleship, in community, on mission with people, laying your life down for somebody else, not just totally concerned about your own needs and desires. Listen, if your life is about you, It's about your career and your wealth and your comfort and your success and your ego. I highly doubt that you've really tasted and really felt the power of the gospel. You might look religious. You might be moral and successful. But listen, this is what the gospel power makes sinners into self-sacrificial disciples who then go and make disciples. Gospel power doesn't make self-sufficient people who sit at home and thank God they're not going to hell. Gospel power makes disciple-making machines. I'm just saying. Maybe not a machine. That's probably the wrong word, but you get it when I I say that. People are passionate about making disciples. People that lay their life down for Jesus Christ. This is to say that the gospel of the cross makes cross-shaped disciples who go make cross-shaped disciples. We should look like our Savior. We should look like Paul. Our lives should be imitating theirs because we have the same power at work in us. But this, the, the order is important. Lightning bolt from the sky, power delivered. Now live it out. Your name has changed, your identity has changed, you've been adopted into the family. Now imitate me. Listen. Dad, you are wicked if you look to your kid and go, if you imitate me, you'll be a part of this family. That's a wicked father. If you follow me, if you do what I do, then you'll be a part of this family. That's a wicked father, and that's religion, and that'll never happen. That's moralism. That'll never get you in the family of God. God says, adopted by grace. Everything I have is yours. Now, follow me. Follow Dad. The order is important. Lightning bolt first, power first, obedience out of that. Now, what if we were to use this text as a diagnostic tool for our heart this morning? What would you find? What's what's the power source? What's the power source of your heart this morning? It's more than just words. Anybody can say, Jesus is my power source. I couldn't do anything without him. Matthew McConaughey, I loved it. And, and the our Oscars this year. God is really the guy I look up to. What? God? I mean, I get it, but I'm just pattering my life after God. I hope to be successful with him someday. Right? It's got, big man upstairs. Helps me out when I need him. Anybody can say it. But run. Listen, Run the diagnostic. Run the tool. Run the diagnostic tool here in this scripture. How do you feel about looking foolish to your neighbors? How do you feel about not being the best dressed at the office? Maybe because you chose to have more kids, right? So you're paying for their clothes. Or maybe because you're giving money to the kingdom of God. How do you feel about being treated like Jesus was treated? Marginalized, people distance, oh man, that guy's no fun, whatever. Are you okay with missing a promotion at work? Are you okay with maybe missing out on happy hour? Are you okay with being marginalized because of your commitment to Jesus? How do you respond to criticism at work? Are you free to be nothing? Are you free enough to be the servant of all at your workplace? Are you the guy in that terrible job that nobody wants to do comes up? Are you the guy that puts on the apron and gets down and washes feet like Jesus? Or do you need constant recognition and validation? That's what we're going to do today. Before we take the Lord's Supper, we're going to take five minutes silence and for many of you who don't take silence during the week it's going to be it's going to feel like an eternity and I want you to run this diagnostic I want to I want you to ask yourself first off if you if you have not felt the lightning bolt if you've not received the power of the gospel it comes through faith comes from trusting Christ for your salvation putting your faith in Jesus Christ so if that's you today and you just want to ask him for it Give you that lightning bolt this morning. But if for those of us who say, Yeah, I felt the lightning bolt, yeah, I've come to faith, I want, you to, I want to ask you this. How is your life? How, how does your life similar to Paul's? Where are you falling short? I want you to ask the Spirit to search your heart and show you where you need to repent. This is a time of repentance, this is a time of lent. Ask him to show you. Listen, listen, here's two, here's two parts, two parts of this. Anytime you're repenting, anytime you hear a sermon like this, this is what you should be doing. Here's where I fall short. I'm just gonna do it like this. Sorry, parents, you might have to. Here's where I suck, okay? Here's where I fall short. Here's where I'm not living the way I'm supposed to be living. And then this is, that's repentance. I see that, I wanna turn from that. Here's faith. This is how Jesus did it perfectly on my behalf. He was crushed so I could be healed. You he was sinless, because I'm sinful. So I want you to do two things. I want you to ask the Spirit to show you in your, where you've fallen short, and I want you to ask the Spirit to show you where Christ fulfilled it perfectly on your behalf, and how you're already accepted, so now you can live differently. How you already have the power, so now you can obey. We're going to take five minutes for the Spirit to do that, and for us to do that this morning. So. <clears throat> on the night, that Jesus was betrayed, he chose to have a meal with those who would betray him. Spent three years teaching people how to live. Follow me, follow me, obey me, live like me. And all those disciples were going to wander. All those disciples were going to fail him. All those disciples were going to leave him. But on the night that all was going to happen, he chose to have a meal. And that's what we celebrate right now. This, because of their failure, because, of their, because we wander, because we leave, because we don't live like Paul, we don't live like Jesus, Jesus was broken for us. His body was broken. His blood was spilled to cover us, to cleanse us, to empower us. And that's what the meal does today, Right? The body and the blood of Christ. May it fill us. May it empower us. May we feast upon it. The men who are serving with me would come this morning. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that your grace motivates, your grace empowers, your gospel fills, your gospel is the lightning bolt from the sky that changes everything. And I pray that we would live like it, we would be empowered by it, we would see the truth in Jesus, and it would shake our souls. We worship you this morning. We turn from our sins in repentance, and we seek your grace as we feast on your body and on your blood this morning. In your precious name, amen.